Oh, it's everything. I mean, it's it's my religion, it's my belief system, it's my history, it's the very essence of what I do and what I am and what I try to do to other people. Uh, I try to share the joy of singing because I was lucky enough to be born with a voice. Music is a vocation, it's, it's my life really. It's a spiritual act, it's a, a physical act, it's a cerebral act. Hello and welcome to The Family of Things, a podcast about life and how we choose to live it. I'm Helen Shaw and my guest today is a man often called a modern troubadour, a singer and performer well known for his high energy stage performances and stamina, a roof lifting voice and his distinctive stage look of dark locks, hats and lots of black leather with the occasional cane thrown in as well. It's Jack Lukeman, Jack L, whose lockdown singing sessions have entertained thousands across the last year and who I've had the pleasure and fortune to work with a few times before. Jack joins me today from his home in Athai, which of course is also now his recording and performance space. Thanks for joining me today. I mean, Jack, you've been so busy in lockdown with the lockdown sessions, but one of the really beautiful things you did was this recording with your dad, Sean. Tell me about that. Yeah, I did an album called The Lockdown Sessions, Volume 1. Uh, that's that's a threat um, because we don't want Volume 2. We want out of the lockdown, of course. <laughs> no, no, one lockdown album <laughs> is quite enough. Well, <laughs> Well, I've done so many lockdown sessions. I mean, at this stage, it must be nearly 50 of them. Uh, my own songs and different artists that it's... Uh, you could definitely get a volume two, depending on how long things go on for. You know, I got into doing the, the live lockdown sessions on a Saturday night at 8 p.m. on Facebook. And it became a regular fixture for everybody to uh, meet up, I suppose, uh, on a Saturday night. And uh, the whole thing of learning how to, you know, make a gig work across uh, the... Uh, internet has been a fantastic uh, it's you feel like a pioneer you know trying to figure out how to uh, make this thing happen but um how to make it work well just that thing if you can read people's thoughts as they're watching the gig and they can talk to you as you're doing the show um it's and it's so mad isn't it, it that they can actually talk back to you now yeah and it's like a radio show then because you know you people send in requests and uh actually it was something my dad said to me which i thought was kind of uh, sweet was that it reminded them of growing up when they'd be listening to the BBC and you know it was after the war and people would be putting out requests over the airwaves to different people because people are tuning in from all over the world so it's it's fantastic I mean it's a it's an amazing uh, experience I have to say but I did so many of these that I said I do a lockdown best of and uh, I found some old recordings while I was doing it um, because I had the time because I've got so many old recordings of my dad singing where I'd recorded him singing a couple of songs. But I had a beautiful version of him singing uh, Young at Heart, the Sinatra classic, and That's Life. So I was able to, uh, you know, do a duet with him on That's Life. Uh, able to strip away Gorgeous. the music that was there. and come. So it was great. I always wanted to do it, you know, do a duet and get it down on record. And I just wanted to get his, his voice on record because he has a beautiful voice. That's life. That's life. That's what all the people say 
You're riding high in April Shut down in May And uh, I was, you know, lucky enough to, to get it uh, through the gene And as I was saying, my mother's good looks Just to, so she doesn't feel left out <laughs> <laughs> um, But uh, I, uh, yeah, so it was a fantastic thing to do And it was lovely because he had a stroke about Well, it's two years ago now Obviously, a stroke sets you back. His voice wouldn't be as good as it was then, so it was great to capture it then. But I won't ever let it get me down. And uh, make the most of, of, of it. And, you know, people, people uh, have enjoyed hearing him. So oh, it's lovely. He might be going, it's, it's we might be getting thing. him out on the road and make a few bob off and <laughs> now when the, uh, when the whole thing opens up again. <laughs> What did your dad think of it? I mean, what did Sean think oh, when he heard it? Chuffed, yeah, chuffed, you know. Um, I mean, music has always been a, a great thing and he's been a great inspiration, you know. Seeing him sing songs like Old Man River when I was a kid kind of opened me head up to the magic of music and how it can uh, lift people out of the everyday and uh, just a way of expressing themselves. And uh, I suppose it was a great inspiration, you know, the old sessions at home. And just his general love of music. Now, my mother had a great love of music too. My mum would be into, you know, Beatles and Elvis. Whereas my dad, you know, he got the older stuff. It was the crooners, the, the El, uh, Sinatra and Nack and Cole. So it was all the big bangs of music. I think it was a very good place to start. Fairy tales can come true. It can happen to you. If you're young at heart. So, yes, I got, I got a great love of all the old classics. And Jack, I know the family business is the garage and you went into it as a mechanic, as a young fella. But was your dad really, in a sense, a frustrated singer? Would he have loved to have had the life that you've ended up having? Well, he's a very, he definitely has an optimistic, uh, upbeat person. So he was always very happy just, you know, working and uh, he loved sessions and stuff. And life gets more exciting with each passing day. I think coming from a small town, as much as me growing up, I never thought that was a possibility to actually, you know, um, you know, it was another world that didn't exist around you. Uh, the world of music and the arts and showbiz, if you like. So and making a living from I'm it. making a living from it. Yeah, that was that was the that, that's the, that's still the hardest part. <laughs> But um, yeah, I'm sure he would have he would have loved to and sang and, and was is, is f famous locally for singing. You know, he was the man to sing at your, your wedding or your, your funeral for that case. So I'm sure he would have would have uh, loved to have sang as well. But so that's why it was so nice to get him on record singing. And uh, you know, he they they, be, they they even played it on a few shows on on, on uh, Radio One, which was uh, fantastic. You have a head start if you are among the very young. As I say, you went in to the garage as a mechanic, as a young lad, but you headed off to Amsterdam when you're 18. And in some ways that becomes a turning point for you, because while you went over there, I think, to the tulip factory, to the bulbs and sorting them out, you kind of then discovered a little bit of a way to sing and make a little bit of a living out of it. Yeah, I was serving my time as a mechanic. I kind of left school quite early. I kind of drifted from summer holidays to just working in the garage. 
as my father had before, left school at 15, as my brother had as well. So it was just, you know, it was a different time. You didn't really, that's what you were going yeah. to do. But um, I, everybody knew I was not destined for mechanics, but at least it was there for me. And uh, about three years into it, uh, I mean, a friend of mine was heading off to Holland. His brother had been over there, you know, working in the factories. And it just sounded like such a cool thing to do for the summer. So off I went and uh, I suppose left uh, the mechanic thing behind. And yes, uh, we were living in a campsite and uh, lots of kind of things drove me, I suppose, towards busking where we were trying to get a job someplace else and we sold our tent and we're sleeping in ditches. And uh, I had an opportunity to camp to sing a few songs with a guy who uh, had a guitar. And uh, I could see people were interested when I would sing. And uh, uh, also, I was, I suppose, making more money than I was doing anything else. So, yeah, that's, the I suppose, the leap of faith where you feel you can actually survive as a musician. So singing on the streets is a great way of... It's the greatest theatre of all, you know. You have to learn how to... Um, catch people's attention with with your music and i can only imagine that amsterdam jack must have been such a mind-blowing city to visit at that point that at that age and almost a chance to reinvent yourself again because you're allowed to be whoever you want to be when you're busking on the streets in amsterdam was that in a sense where you started to discover who you were as a performer it gives you the self-belief that this this is possible to do this. As I say, coming from a small town, you you don't see it and you're not around that kind of thing. So it it's a, it's kind of a, a pipe dream. But uh, it, it was almost through default, and and you know it's always you know things. That's a great lesson in life is that sometimes things going going wrong can set you up to do something else. Um, as with me getting out of working in factories and, and, and being able to, you know, survive singing. Um, and yes, going to a different country is always a great opportunity to reinvent yourself. And especially, you know, the 90s, it was early 90s. The 90s, I think, were a very special time. I think they will be viewed a bit little like the 60s in some respect, where there was this kind of optimism heading towards the millennium. Um, technology come in. We all thought, you know, all the internet stuff, we thought we could probably do that within a few years, but we're only kind of able to do it now. Um, so we all thought we were going to be cyberpunks or whatever. And uh, <laughs> so, so yeah, it, it, it definitely um, allowed me to uh, gain self-confidence and, yeah, open your eyes up to the world. And uh, from there, I was either looking, doing the, the, the bohemian traveling thing of going to the kibbutz in Israel and all that kind of stuff. But I said, right, I'll go back to Dublin and give it a blast. And that's kind of where I went back and started playing in places like the Da Club, met up with the Black Romantics and began to, I suppose, grow an audience and experiment. And with a what persona. I could do. Yeah, yeah, I suppose. I mean, I've had a few personas over the years, I suppose. I just kind of enjoy, you know, create your own culture. I, I take a little bit yeah. of everything and... Yeah, I mean, I always look at that club as like serving my apprenticeship as a performer. And Jack, for those now who have no idea what the Dad Club was like or that, that image you're giving us of Amsterdam or Dublin in the 90s, I mean, 
There's a sense of you started to meet up with like-minded crew at the South Circular Road at that basement flat where you were living. What was it, 38 South Circular Road? Yeah, I met up with uh, uh, David Constantine had an album called 38 SCR that he was making of his own songs. And uh, Martin Clancy, who, who I still work with to this day, uh, was producing it and... Um, so the guys were doing some stuff and we met up to mutual friends, my friend Anna McPartland, who's a, a famous writer now. Um, I knew her from, I bet. You guy, know her from home. Yeah, I knew yeah. her for, from, uh, yeah, from, uh, she used to go on holidays to a thigh. So yeah, I met him with the guys and they had a studio in the house and they were recording and sure it was a Shangri-La. We all moved in and uh, we used, you know, we'd record all night. We'd see how long we could record for, you know, all these cra- crazy stuff. <laughs> Even though we'd no deadlines those days, we'd create deadlines. And yeah, I started touring with Dave. He had a, his band was called Serious Women. We, we toured Germany and did a lot of uh, interesting shows around uh, Dublin. And uh, kind of from there then, I got in with the Black Romantics, who were mostly all based out around the Bayside area, uh, Hoth. And uh, Ginger O'Keefe, the band leader, was looking to do a show of Jacques Brel songs. And I mean, I, I knew Jacques Brel via Scott Walker, who did the English, because Jacques Brel is originally French, he was, though he was a Belgian. Um, and this, we, so we put this big band together, a kind of a Pogues type band, you know, fiddles and accordions and just fantastic musicians. Six months ago, we got a video in the post. Uh, a band that we didn't know about, so I don't think anybody knew about, they just recently formed, called Jack Owl and the Black Romantics. And we uh, started a residency in the Dark Club, which is just off Grafton Street on Clarendon Market, I think it's called, is this little street, not far from the Gaiety. <laughs> And, you know, back then we would go on at 12 o'clock at night. There was a late night scene in Dublin then musically yeah. um you know you had even the gate you had that you think the, the lure that used yeah. to run all night i'd have to get drunk every night and talk about virility to some old grandmama who might be decked out like a christmas tree but so we'd go on at 12 o'clock and it was just word of mouth. You know, we were selling the place out continually and uh, it was just such a little speakeasy and such a kind of a happening place. And it was a place that everybody passed through, you know. I, I, Tommy Tiernan supported us one time there. You know, we, we, it was a mixture. Agnes Burnell would come down and sing with us. And Camille O'Sullivan was around Camille the scene then as well. Camille was doing and well and living in Paris down there with a the crew and... Everybody, uh, Damien Dempsey, Dr. Miller, Mundy, Paddy Casey, Ice Juniper, when they were, you know, pre-Damien uh, Rice and Bell X1. So it was just, uh, so it was a fantastic place. I saw so much stuff. And if I 
And there was a real vibe. Oh, because, and of course, yeah. you were young. I mean, I was just looking because I do remember the midnight at the Olympia gigs and uh, seeing the whole Black Romantic show there is incredible. But I just fished out something from 96, which it's just worth remembering because I think the piece they're saying you were 23 then, you can correct him. But the, the line goes, when Jack L does Jacques Brel, he brings all his youthful, full-blooded vitality to the part. When he emerges on stage at the Dublin Star Club, for instance, decked out in frock coat and brandishing his cane, it's like watching Johnny Depp doing a film version of Jacques Brel is alive and well and living in Paris. That was a pretty cool write-up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, don't, I haven't seen that one, that's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'll go with that. Locked up inside my opium den Surrounded by some China men I sing the song that I sang then About the time they called me Jackie If I could be for only an hour If I could be for an hour every day If I could be for just one little Um, so that was the Irish Times oh. on uh, March 1996. It's kind of interesting that whole night scene you're talking about in Dublin. There's now this conversation and movement about trying to resurrect that, like hopefully after the pandemic when we can actually go back to the city. But there was a really lively and bohemian scene where there was, you know, eateries that opened into the early hours. There were cafes that people would go after those kind of gigs and hang out. Yeah, there was just a nice kind of optimistic vibe at the time. And it still feels to this day uh, like a very uh, di- very different time. Less rules, you know, the old health and safety will be the death of us all, I always say, because <laughs> you can't do anything now. But back then, you know, um, we would do the shows. You would leave the place in the early hours. Of, or, uh, it was always bright when you left the place. Now, now places still exist. Like, Whelan's of Dublin is a great bastion of that thing where you can... Um, enjoy yourself into the late hours though i i you know i'm probably past that at this stage but um <laughs> we both are yeah the, but but the velour club yeah used to run all night and you had all, every room in it, it was which was in the gaiety it would have a different thing on in every room you'd have salsa in one room you had the main exactly i went open. to the salsa yeah. oh yeah great and the, the main room itself like in the gaiety which is one of my favorite theaters in dublin would have some band on and then you go somewhere else and something else would be happening but maybe it's also to do with being young that there's that magic about it i mean uh, that's why I feel particularly sorry for people who are in that age group now in the pandemic because everything was switched off for them. And much as the virtual gigs and, and the, the lockdown sessions are brilliant, you know, you do miss that whole vibe of being in a room with loads of people enjoying live music. Oh, no doubt. I mean, I, I know it's not uh, compared to people dying. It's it's uh, it's down the list. But yeah, you, you know, I, the, last year I just thought kids are going to miss their first you know, their first gig out, you know, their first festival. Where, their first where, everything. Because I remember when I was a kid and Fela was kind of the first thing that happened that was a big yeah. festival. And we, I, I had a car. I was, I might have been <laughs> this old orange Corolla that was falling to pieces. But we all piled into it. And uh, I remember I had a black leather cowboy hat, which <laughs> we off we went. And it was just like a weekend apart from what the everyday mundane is. And I think that festival thing is very, very old 
So I think it's a very, very important inbuilt primordial thing in us that we have to have a few weekends uh, where, where we go where wild. Where we go wild, <laughs> the Elysian mysteries, all that kind of stuff, you know. I, I got the worst food poisoning ever at Fela and I think it took about three weeks. It was one of those ones where whenever I hear the word Fela, oh, I just no. think of the, yeah. it was the sausage, the sausage <laughs> breakfast in the B&B where the, the lovely lady had obviously reheated them. Oh. And I, I did, I did feel I was going to die. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, it's, I thought it might mean those sandwiches they were selling in every, in every garden. I've had the festival experience too, yeah. Talk to me about the look and that whole look that you developed then in terms of the clothes, the makeup, mascara, leather, everything that was going on. I mean, it's it's again part of that time and magic in it. But what was influencing you and what were you thinking in bringing all of those elements together? Yeah, it was always, uh, I suppose it was a magpie. I was taking a little bit of everything, but I always did like the show in the biz, you know, even though in the 90s grunge was a thing and everybody was wearing their day clothes or their, you know, work clothes, basically ripped jeans and all that. But I just always felt I, I was an opportunity to dress up and I always, you know, liked dressing up. I always just liked not, well, I suppose there was a lot of extravagant stuff um, like the old like what? <laughs> well, I suppose the old PVC trousers uh, <laughs> and, you know, red frock coats and, yeah, canes. And, I mean, particular songs like Jackie, uh, which was a Brown song. The Jack Brown yeah, song. I mean, yeah, I would use, but you still do. I would, for certain songs, I would have different characters. I always liked the idea of method singing, where you became the character. Well, long time coming, yeah, the big time is here. Oh, the future looks bright. Seems clear. Long time coming, yeah. Ten long years, but there's a light at the end of the tunnel. I hear them singing. I'm the king of Soho. And uh, I've always seen singing uh, in the old uh, shamanic sense. You're trying to crack reality, you're trying to shake people, you're trying to break not only the fourth wall. Uh, between you and the audience but the fifth wall which is the wall inside people's heads because music did you know it it, i traveled in via music when i was a kid you know from just hearing songs with names and i'm going where is that what is that and the romanticism of it and you know the the old palace of your imagination And that's what songs stoke. I mean, I just was never going to be a shoegazer, I suppose. Um, I just... And it, You're a showman. Well, it wasn't... A, it's not a particularly that I went, I'm going to be a showman. I just start singing. The way I sing is quite a physical act. You know, it's... it's it, There's a lot of high seas and there's a lot of uh, dramatic songs. Try to frame me, those lawyers and judges, but I swore on the Bible and all those Gideons. The ladies love me well, the gentlemen too. Oh, keep your hands in your pockets, but you could help the king of So it just lent itself to that. I can't say it was a premeditation that I'm going to be David Bowie, you know, or I'm going to be Jack Brell or whatever. It was just. 
the music I was making, yeah, the fashion of the time, maybe. Um, but I mean, a lot of stuff. I, 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 I was always into the old secondhand shop. I'd go in and find a tuxedo that somebody maybe died in. And uh, I would, that they would be the things I would wear. And the, and the more flamboyant yeah. and uh, outrageous, I suppose. I mean, <laughs> I think back to some, some of the things were just downright wrong. <laughs> but it, a bit like alter egos, yeah. going into clothes and costume allows you to be bigger and more than yourself as well. Because we all come from, as you were sort of saying, you come from a small place. You could, we come from a small island. Sometimes it's hard then to see yourself as this projected other and having another name, even when you use the jackal, but also having these costumes, these masks allow you to be bigger as well yeah. in the terms of a stage and a physical presence and also mentally that you can move into these characters. Yeah, I mean, I suppose we all, you know, we all grew up in the black and white kind of uh, Catholic Ireland where, you know, curtain twitching and all that kind of stuff. So I was always very much so against that and trying to, I suppose, enhance myself and just enhance the, I don't know, I just thought it was always, um, well, I was, uh, you know, cu- just simple cultural things like Top of the Pops every Thursday night you put it on and you saw all these people who were, completely different to what your everyday was and you went right that's the thing for me you know um that's where i want to go you mentioned bowie there and when i think about those early shows and the persona and the black romantics and all of the ways that it was coming together around that time there's also an element of androgyny around it things that you see with david bowie or mark boland from before him and with t-rex that's how old i am that you you've a sense in which some of those characters and performers and singers were able to morph in the in the gender lines and embrace both in their performance and their characters and, and the way they played with it. Was that something that you thought about as well? Yeah, no, I love the flamboyance. Androgyny is great. And just the whole Dionysian thing of just going for it when you're doing something is so bloody liberating. I mean, I've always... <laughs> One of my bad sayings is that, you know, being on stage is the license to be an asshole, you know, it's 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 to do <laughs> what you want to do. And uh, I mean, I used to do costume changes and all that stuff um, uh, in shows and uh, for different, different characters songs. and different songs. Yeah. And it always just seemed very, very natural to me, you know, um, and I always enjoyed the freedoms of it, you know, songs like Ode to Edward, I Like Girls and I Like Boys, I Like Leather, I Love Your Toys. It was just a celebration of freedom. Also, just shaking people, you know, um, out of out of uh, you know small mindedness, small mindedness as well, you know. Yeah. Um, so, and I always saw that as the the duty of any rock and roller or any rock and roll music or any music is to uh, shake the foundations of reality and cr- create your own reality. And Elvis, you know, cracked the world open. Uh, as as Sinatra did before him, I mean Sinatra was where they created the teenagers, basically the whole idea of teenage fandom, and you know 
music, I always say music and business are an oxymoron. Music is this magical thing that nobody can really, it's made of spirit, it's, it's playing with airwaves, it's messing around with words. Obviously business is a different thing and it's always a battle between the two, but it's just such a fantastic, fun thing to do and has helped us all, especially at this time. Music has become more potent. I mean, I went out and I got to do a few shows in September when things opened up a little bit. When we bit. opened up a bit. Yeah, yeah. and uh, the Limerick Concert Hall, you know, they were socially distanced and they were streamed and all that. And down in uh, uh, Kerry, I did one as well. And I've never felt music so potent. It, it just felt like you were doing something important. Just that feeling of like wartime or something when we were, people are suddenly allowed out and about again and some yeah. kind of normality. And uh, I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, getting back getting to that. Getting back. Much as I've enjoyed stopping and uh, chilling out for the first time in my life, really. Um, well, saying that, I've been, do- I've been doing the live shows every weekend, which is quite a task in itself. You've been working very hard with the shows and doing the, the, Facebook, the Facebook and the YouTube sessions. And you can see from the reaction from your fan club what it's meant to them. And I do know from having worked with you in a very long radio series with Julie Feeney called High Fidelity, how loyal your fans are. Like it was remarkable whenever we did anything. There's just this incredible following you have, particularly with women. But in a sense, they're very loyal. And I could see when I'm looking at the Facebook and the lockdown sessions, your fans have been right behind you. For me, that's been the fantastic thing about that is, you know, solidifying, I suppose, that community where we all meet up on a Saturday night uh, and people chat, you know, people are chatting while you're doing the songs uh, on to each other. Chatting in Facebook. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm asking, you know, but that's the thing you can't, you obviously can't hear them, but you can see it. And then, you you know, you're asking how they are and you're getting stories sent in. You know, we did like uh, whatever was the 20th anniversary of Metropolis Blue and people were saying the first time they were at a gig. and. It just, there's been so many things in it that have been so moving, you know, reading people's, you know, stories at the time of where they were and they heard a song and it did something. And also just when I started doing the live streams, which was really weird because you're not, there's nothing can, you can't practice for them. You just go online and there's a thousand people watching you and there's nothing in between the songs except your name babbling. <laughs> so... It was really weird, but when I when I finished and I was actually able to sit down and read the comments, and I saw people who I you know met years ago or hadn't seen in years, and then just you know fans who were just delighted that they had something that that felt almost normal on a Saturday night. It was really really moving. In some way, it has solidified, I suppose, the fan base. And uh, 
it's given me something to to I, I've been doing my own stuff, but I've been doing other artists a lot as well. So, and it's always like doing a thesis. So every week is this big build up where you're learning all these songs. You're learning songs. You know, yeah. Dylan, Cohen, Cash, all the big names, Elvis, Bowie, the Beatles. It goes on, 80s nights. And we did like, recently we did Moon Tunes. Wider than a mile I'm crossing you in style Which was a full moon, so every song I, I could, you know, get about songs containing the moon, <laughs> which there is a lot. There's, a, there's there several a volumes in that one too. <laughs> So There's fun. a few albums of moon songs. Oh, I can see a whole yeah. new album of moon songs coming, John. I, I, I wrote half of them. I mean, the moon's future so much in what I do. But so for me, it's been like staying fit both you know musically mentally and learning all this tech as well and then just just i'm really interested in the idea of how shows can can work i mean basically what i'm saying is that people go oh yeah it's not like a real gig yes obviously but there's something else going on music still moves people the fact that it's people tune in mostly in real time and stay tuned in for the whole thing that people want that old uh, felt presence of something happening mm. in real time that we're all experiencing together and that's very in the moment and very uh, mindful you know that we're all experiencing something in real time that fascinates me that's what life is about it's a series of moments uh, from the magic to the mundane and you just have to know uh, how to turn the mundane ones into the magic yeah. ones which they can't be all the time Billy McGlynn um said a while back, I think last December to me, that what we've really missed in the pandemic is this idea of communal joy, the idea of sharing something together, whether it's a football match or a music gig or being in a place where we feel more than one. What we miss, which is what you're describing in your virtual sessions on Facebook, is that people are not just enjoying the music, but they do feel that in one moment they've a shared experience and a shared joy. In many ways, sometimes it feels like uh, people are, you know, enjoying the chat in between probably more so than <laughs> the music. Being together. Yeah. Initially, I was not into, I was, I never did anything like that. I, it's, it's all fresh to me. But it's been a fantastic learning curve. And uh, as I say, it, and it, it works. You've really embraced it. Like, you know, fair play to you. You've really embraced it because some artists, and it's very understandable, have been intimidated by the technology and they've stopped doing anything which is a terrible loss yeah but you also mentioned jack and i think we've all had this experience in the last year of watching funerals on live streams of people we love Mm. and loved yeah and you had that yeah experience of singing at funerals as well for your uncle yeah i I, two uncles who actually passed away and i've I sang at the funerals, you know, and that was the weirdest thing is, is people, you know, having to be, I suppose, uh, people not being able to co- come together to uh, uh, celebrate the person is, is one of the, the hardest parts of the whole lockdown. It's been a very, very hard time. There's no doubt about it. We've never, 
I think the World War Two is the only thing to equate with this. But as I say, it's you know at least there's people not dropping bombs on us, and there's not you know there's not uh, the the imminent uh, invasion of anybody. So. And we have all this technology, I suppose, that we can do things. The things we're really losing is that idea of the, our social self. And it's been great that it, it is, has enhanced community, as in people look at what's around them and what's going on. But yeah, it's, it's been obviously the demise of, of so many businesses that have been around for years, so many music venues, so many people I know who can't gig online or there's no way for them to... I mean, I'm, I feel very lucky... I'm privileged that I've been able to uh, maintain, uh, you know, movement uh, musically that uh, I could uh, continue to perform. But uh, yeah, there, there's been there's been a lot of work involved too. But it's it's been worth it in the end. And Jack, for somebody who's normally traveling and touring a lot, this has been, as you say, a period when you've been at home performing from there in a Thai and. Has that been interesting? Has that been quite a change that you've been in situ, that you've been back home for this such a lengthy period? Well, I, I am actually over in Leash direction over that way, over near Stradbally is where I live. So I'm out in the country and uh, it's been great. I mean, I've always loved living in the country. I love going to places like LA and experiencing the madness of that and then coming back to the middle of nowhere in Ireland. It's one of the greatest things and I'm the kind of person who would literally watch the grass grow and have been because <laughs> I have to cut it but I, <laughs> but just experiencing nature seeing the se- se- seasons change is, is something I just love the Irish weather yeah it's got its problems but I actually enjoy it I enjoy being out uh, it's you feel alive you're cold you're hot you're it's it's I don't know those things I love and I've loved having a year or an hour or more of being able to, to stay into one spot and just see the seasons change. I wouldn't I mind if I didn't travel again. Of course, I will. But it, it, it I've done so much of it that it's kind of um, I've done it. So I'm in some respect, I'm looking forward, you know, to getting back at it. But I've I've, I've enjoyed the virtual thing very much. So and I think. And hope it will remain something that can happen in the winter months. You know. And now people, everybody's learned how to do it. It's been funny seeing the arms race of people getting better TVs, getting better internet so they can enjoy it more. Yeah. It's been fun to watch as well. And, uh, you know, seeing what other people were doing made me go, wow, oh, you can you can watch it on TV. You know, I didn't know any of this stuff before I, I started. It was just a phone and um, what it could do. But yeah, I, I'm looking forward to getting back on the road, I suppose. And you've toured with loads of people, obviously with Jules Holland a lot. You've, you've a really good relationship with Jules Holland. Yeah. I mean, you've toured with tons of big names. And obviously that's back on the cards when, fingers crossed, we open up. And, and that, that will really be starting from the summer. You've got a gig coming up, which was postponed or it with Sting, I think. Yeah, there's a Sting gig in Germany that's been there I was supposed to do last year. So I'm just waiting to see it on this year. And then I've got, yeah, I've got a lot of legacy gigs. There's Jules Holland tour in the UK. So I'm just waiting to see how things go like everybody else. I mean, how did you connect with them and how did that relationship develop with Jules? Well, it was just true, I suppose, gigging around the UK a lot. And I've been touring with him for a good few years now and played great places like the Royal Albert Hall and just so many fantastic places. And yeah, he's just a music lover. 
Hey, you could talk to him about music all day. He loved the album I did of Randy Newman. Cause the city's dying And I don't know music lover that you could sit down and talk yeah. to for hours and just uh, a fantastic touring group I mean he has people who've been with him since he started really and it's just this big family very loyal family crew it people. seems yeah yeah all the amazing singers you know Mark Almond uh, hanging out with him and touring with him as well with his show so uh, there's been so many great uh, opportunities that have obviously come through it you've toured with neil sadaka with imelda may there's there's a huge range of artists that you've you've had the opportunity to be around yeah. have you a sense of a favorite gig or one that you felt that that really blew your mind yeah well those i did get to play with the brooklyn philharmonic orchestra in manhattan outdoors with, with the full uh, singing you know lovely singing uh you know singing some of my own stuff and then singing uh i think it was when i had the randy newman stuff out i did a few of those songs and i, I ended up you know i sang new york new york with the brooklyn philharmonic orchestra with a couple of thousand people looking at you, looking back, we were on the harbour, it was on one of the piers. So I was looking back at Manhattan with a flyover, with cars going by and skyscrapers, and you're singing with them and you're going, well, if there was Carlsberg moments, this would be it. Not that promote Carlsberg, but you know, this is <laughs> this is like a dream stuff. And then, you know, Gorgeous. I've got the tour across America, the Flaz with, you know, Elvis Costello headlining and lots of other, Van Morrison and... And in some ways, you've travelled enough, you've filled your boots with it that you wouldn't miss it. But you certainly, when you had those opportunities, you max them out. There, there's there's such an array of people yeah. that you've had the chance to work with. And you learn from everybody. You know, I, I remember seeing Elvis Costello performing at the FLA in Boston. And, you know, it was not acts all day long, all the bells and whistles. And I think it was when he had the album of Burt Bacharach songs. And he was the headliner. He walked out with a guitar. I loved that album. Yeah, he walked out with a guitar and a piano. And somebody playing piano with him. But anyway, he, after seeing all the bells and whistles of everybody all day and big bands, he came out with just that, songs that were amazing. And the whole place was singing and he just blew everybody away. So you learn lessons Gorgeous. like that, like the Old Man River thing of you have all the technology, but it breaks down and you sing without any amplification and people tune in more so and remember it more so because it's something different. There's an old man called the Mississippi That's an old man that I wanna be Why does he care If the world's got troubles Why does he care If the land ain't free The same as with him coming out and doing that proved to me how it doesn't have to be it turned up to 11 all the time volume wise you know it, dynamic is everything to me in a show and doing shows has always been a fantastic you know it, it's something like flying a plane 
you get try and get the plane off the ground you can take a nice relaxed takeoff or you can just shoot right off like a rocket depending on the song you do you get it up there and and then you're trying to you know uh, play with the dynamic of the energy in the room or the energy online or just the energy you're playing with yourself as regards songs you're doing and then you try to land it you can you know land it with a big tune or you can just bring it down gently i'm tired of living but i'm scared of basically playing with energy and and as as uh, i think it was tom waits said it's the art m- music and songwriting is something interesting to do with air you know you're just vibrations and <laughs> so it's it's a constant learning curve and i saw you doing that playing with the dynamics in the national concert hall once when it was the interval and it's the concert hall so it does have a little bit of that it, formality mm. around it. It, it it's not Vicar Street mm. it's not Whelan's and so everybody was doing their normal thing in the interval you know queuing for a drink or chatting and suddenly there's this sound from the grand piano in in, in the in the foyer there and it's golden brown I always remember it because it was that moment where you completely changed the energy of what, what this is a really predictable moment <laughs> to something that became something else golden brown final temptress Heading west from far away, space for a day, never a frown with golden brown. That was one of the gifts of that, is to make the National Concert Hall a venue where nobody knew quite what was going to happen, because there you were playing, well, somebody else was playing the piano, yeah. but you were singing Golden yeah. Brown uh, in the middle of the interval, surprising them. Yeah, no, I, I the interval thing... I just always, you know, you, 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 you cool down. It's like you have to start from zero again and the energy drops and then you have to build it back up again. So wherever my head was at the time, I went, right, they want an interval. Okay, but I'm going to go out and play it during the interval. Just to, just to yeah, as you said, break the, uh, the, the, what would the obvious. Or, or the expected The expected, norm. yeah. <laughs> and I remember it was, you know, it was a bit raucous and people were hanging over the banister and stuff. I, I think... Yeah. They're kind of, they, they, I don't know if people are still allowed to do it, but at the time it seemed like a very good idea. And yeah, there you go. People, oh, definitely. people remember it because it's not the obvious. It's always the, the things you, the things outside of the ordinary that kind of stay with people. Because music is an experience. And in some ways at those events, it's a shared experience. But Jack, what does singing mean to you? Because in many ways, I can't imagine you not singing, even if you weren't traveling. It's so much part, as you say, of your experience of being alive. But what does singing itself mean to you? Oh, it's everything. I mean, it's it's my religion. It's my belief system. It's my history. It's the very essence of what I do and what I am and 
what I try to do to other people. Uh, I try to share the joy of singing because I was lucky enough to be born with a voice. And then just, you know, what it does culturally, what it does historically, what it teaches, how it's a never-ending lesson to learn things and to experience other parts of the world and to mind travel, if you like. It's a spiritual act. It's a, a physical act. It's a cerebral act. You know, it's it works on all the levels and it's older. You know, they think maybe we made music before we could talk. So it's the great communicator and it's it's something we take for granted. But I always think that songs and music are like the little, the magic that still exists in our everyday life because everybody turns on the radio or they have a song too. And it moves us in ways that we don't understand. It doesn't have to have lyrics. It can just be music, a major to a minor chord, shifts something that's in our heads that we don't quite understand. I know science is right. That you'll see theories, you'll see people explaining the world away. But uh, nobody knows anything has always been one of my main mantras uh, in life. Um, but everybody likes to pretend they know everything. Um, <laughs> and, and we're in the age of that where, you know, if you don't agree with what I agree with, you know, you're you're out. But nobody knows anything has always been, uh, I, I think, uh, a very helpful um, antidote I've used. Uh, just when people say you can't do things. Music is has been a vo- you know a vocation. It's it's my life really. Uh, it's the only thing that made sense of the world, um, or 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 enhanced it enough that I could bear it. <laughs> and Jack, we started with the beautiful song you've released with your dad singing. But I know one of the other things that most of us have been doing in the last year in the pandemic is spending time where we can with our family, if we can be close to them, being aware just of how precious those relationships are. And you were mentioning, I think, also that you've done this project, musical, artistic, around your granddad. Yeah, my grandfather, Jack Kyo, um, he had a kind of a memoir, you know, he was, uh, he, he died in the 90s, but he, he left behind a whole books of drawings and muses and, and poems. And it's always been a thing I've had and wanted to do something with. So um, I, you know, I was basically learning how to use film, uh, trying to shoot a little movie. So I basically did a duet with him. It's it. And it's 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 music, but uh, it's inspired by those AMSR recordings, audio meridian, sensory. What's that? I can't remember what the third word is, but it's basically speaking really quietly and drawing people in and telling stories. You can't, but help here. It's home. They're very popular on YouTube. People listen to them going to bed, sleep at night so they're, i want they're kind of fetish apparently well there, there is that aspect of it too yeah which uh, but i've always liked but that's uh, oddly it's another thing I, i've learned i learned from comedians i remember one night watching a comedian in the white horse in dublin years ago and the audience were talking over him and he just started to whisper and the whole place just quietened down even though he was saying nothing so there's something about the whisper that draws people in commands us commands us yeah, yeah. I will relive again <laughs> <laughs> 
the memory. Of times I used to know. So I was interested in that, and I and I'm a massive film fan, you know. Um, and now that we have the ability to make a movie on our phone or on our iPad or whatever, I made a 20 minute movie, uh, incorporating footage that I shot in the area that I live the nature of the place it, it basically is from the perspective of how everything shut down in that first lockdown and we went back to the early 1900s where there wasn't cars on the road and you could hear the birds sing and all the stuff that people were noticing and that made me think of my grandfather jack kyo uh and his era you know he would have been a great inspiration i my great memories of we would visit on a sunday and he'd be sitting in a room with john mccormick blaring the room would be full of smoke and he would be listening to John McCormick just sitting there listening to it. You know, things like that were really inspiring to me. Um, so he- It's a gorgeous project, Jack. And it, again, there's been a few blessings or opportunities in this time when everything paused where we've been able to do things which sometimes we put on the back burner. And that project about your, your granddad is, is definitely one of them where you've created something where you might have been too busy normally to do it well it was also nice to create a 20 minutes of music rather than where i'm always dealing in the the, the three to five minute pop songs or, or rock and roll yeah. songs or whatever the format that we are all used to it was great to just make a piece of music that lasted uh, and and to speak and and not i mean there's a song in it there's a, there's a good story there's a song in it called tuberara well which is a place that my grandfather kept referencing but i couldn't find the song uh, it's a local song uh, in a thigh and I looked online, I couldn't find it on YouTube, I couldn't find it on Google or anywhere and then I rang up my father and I said to him, do you record, Do you know a song called Tuberara Well? And he was, as oft I have stood on the bridge of a thigh and there it was in folklore, it, there it was in his head, it had been recorded. Fantastic. And it's into the barrow, And so there was beautiful things like that. So the song features in it, and uh, but it was also just to show, you know, my uh, my my grandfather Jack Kyo, his brother Dan Kyo was in the First World War uh, on the on the fighting for for England, and then my other grandfather, our great uncle Pat, was uh, was in the old IRA. You know, so you had these. The, one of those families where you had the two sides do two different things and just so much history there that was just uh, nice to capture in some shape or form and not to do it in a conventional sense to do it in more of a dream time um kind of sequence yeah and it's just also the visuals are just a celebration of the beautiful place that we live in in ireland it's wonderful and I hope you get to release that. Yeah, I'm. Tr- I'm trying to. You know, I'm. F- I still have a few little bit things to do with it, so it's not released yet. But hopefully, uh, I'll get it out this year. I mean, I'm also kind of looking at trying to get an album together for th- when things do open up. Because pre to the lockdown, I was doing a, an album of, of my own stuff. 
so I kind of, I'm kind of actually just getting back into that now trying to finish off the album I was doing with the hope of getting out the end of the year or in the new year uh, getting some new songs out there Jack it's been lovely to catch up and talk with you again and I'm I've been enjoying the the streamed album and particularly here comes the sun one of my favorite songs um it, it, it always makes me feel better that song is there is there one beyond your dad's lovely song from that lockdown album that lifts you uh forever young kind of was the, the bit dylan song was one that i really enjoy singing and just he can bathe in it and it's got sorrow in it but it's got mm. such joy in it too and it's you know it's one he wrote for his kids but it's just something to say to us all you know just don't 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 let go of the child inside because that's what will keep you alive and that's what will you know um is one of the most beautiful parts of you So I've really enjoyed singing that. There's been a few, you know, song, girls like songs like "Girl from the North County" is another Dylan song, which I really, I really, which isn't on the album, which is why Volume Two is pending. But there's been so many. <laughs> oh, bring it out! You're yeah, allowed. Bring it out, yeah, Jack. No, you, I'm going to let I, you have. I got to concentrate on the original stuff, or I'll, I'll never get it done. Forever Young, again, I love it. I played it at my eldest brother's funeral two years ago, that with ah. the Here Comes the Sun. And it was just, so they're, they're both songs, which you know that, mm. that way when you have an opportunity to pick songs. Now, sadly, there was no live singer at that. Yeah. It was a crematorium right. in London. Yeah. But it was so beautiful because the right song, and this is what you mean about the power of music and a song, the right song at the right moment can change us and change the mood yes suddenly yeah suddenly the world is a a beautiful thing it's a beautiful moment be it of a melancholic nature or be it of just a, a unbridled joy um yeah it, it, it can and do sometimes that. it allows you to say goodbye as well within that uh, most definitely and so many people uh ha- have requested uh forever young um you know which is which is lovely as well on on the live stream gigs that you get to commemorate people and it is a an up and down roller coaster ride doing the thing because in one request you're you're somebody's talking about somebody's in hospital or somebody who has died and then you're getting someone telling you somebody's been born and uh, you celebrate their new grandchild or or someone's birthday who's eight years old or you know it's just it's the it's the the, the, si- the symphony of life is right there on a, on a and emotions yeah all the ways in which we feel yeah Jack, it's been it's been great to talk to you and wishing you the best with the new album, whether it's lockdown two or the one that you were about to bring out before the pandemic interfered with all our lives. I've got a few new tunes going. Hope you also get to tour soon. 
great. Look forward to them, Jack. And best of luck with the touring when it starts again with Jules and, and that gig, hopefully with Sting, which will eventually happen. So take care and talk to you soon. Thanks for having me. And that's all for this episode of The Family of Things. My thanks to Jack for making it happen. And we've put some links to Jack's music in the show notes so you can continue to enjoy his voice. If you like what we do, please do support it. Consider becoming a member of our Patreon community for as little as a euro a month really helps us make season two. Or use our tip jar on the website, thefamilyofthings.com. And if you want more, we're making a brand new podcast with the gorgeous Panty Bliss called The Panty Personals, intimate one-to-one conversations with unique performances. Our first episode with Brezzy Niall Breslin is out and coming next is an American in Dublin, the lyrical and funny Galia Arad. Check it out, The Panty Personals. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.